I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 196. Y'all, as much as Carrie loves Christmas, her dog don't. Jax <sighs> is the Grinch. This dog. He's getting his balls cut tomorrow. <laughs> Not by me, obviously. A professional. <laughs> that was weird. Yeah, he likes to mark my Christmas tree. Which I can kind of understand, like, you pee on a tree outside, now there's one inside, but, like, you don't fucking, you're not supposed to pee inside, so what the fuck are you doing? And then, um, sometimes we literally had to take the tree skirt away, because he'd pee on just the one tree skirt, and then he would take the ornaments off the other two trees. Yes, I have three Christmas trees, don't come at me. <laughs> and they're all from fucking salvage, so I, I'm not, like, bougie, because somebody said that at work, they're like, okay, bougie, I'm like... They all came from our salvage place. I got them very cheap. Not one of them came from Michael's, but it was cheap. True. I got it. Okay. Like 70% off. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying, because everybody's like, you're so bougie with salvage world. Actually, that's not where I got it. But one of our salvage places. Yeah. Yeah. But Jax is uh, on my fucking shit list. But for real, if any of y'all have any recommendations about um, like dogs and training, I'm all here for it because this is a little bit of a tangent, but so we figured out, you know, Google's my best friend, that he has submissive urination. So like sometimes when we get home, he'll pee. And at first we were like, okay, he's excited. But like the more I looked it up, I think it's submissive urination because he, if he's in the kennel, as soon as you walk up, he like shows his belly. You know, he always will just like show his belly to you. And, and that was saying how a dog that does that to strangers it's like with them, with that and the peeing, it's, it's like submissive peeing. Because like one time, you know how your dogs come in your bathroom when you're using the bathroom? I was literally sitting on the toilet and he walked in and I went down to pet him. Like I just you know, put my hand out to pet him and he like kind of cowered down and peed, you know. And yeah. so if anybody has any recommendations on how to stop the peeing inside as far as like the on the tree and all of that. Because another thing about the submissive urination is it said that... Typically, when that happens, they were disciplined pretty hard for accidents inside. So, it's like, how do you discipline a dog that is doing something, like, bad that he wasn't doing before when he has a submissive issue? You know, like, I don't fucking know how to discipline this. Because with the submissive urination, when they have an accident like that, it says... Don't acknowledge it, like clean it up with them not in the room because they're ashamed of it and it can like perpetuate it. But when he's doing it on in like inside on a tree skirt, like how do you stop that? Right. So y'all hit me up. Tell me what to do because I don't fucking know. I'm really hoping that getting him fixed tomorrow will help. Yeah. And the humping. He's still humping bad? Yes. If he gets excited, he tries to latch on to you. Oh, God. Ugh. I hate it. Ugh. He damn near took Allie down this weekend. Oh, well, that was a long tangent, but you know who we hopefully is here for a long time? Oh, God. <laughs> Go ahead. Patreoners! <sighs> Thank you so much, Raquel F. from Illinois. Devin T. from Massachusetts. Lily N. from Arizona. And Daniel G. from Missouri. Thank y'all so much for signing up for Patreon and becoming a member of the Creepinati. We hope that you're enjoying all of the bonus content. We're working on thank you videos, so if you're at that level, trust me, they're coming. Slowly but surely, they're coming. And y'all know the spiel. If you want a shout out, if you want the bonus episodes, all the good good, stickers, and the like, go to www.patreon.com 
forward slash the APC podcast. Well, speaking of the Creepinati, you know how we have the Facebook group for people on Patreon specifically. Well, in that group, Melissa R. recommended my story this week. So this is the case from South Korea of the Frog Boys. Ooh. I'm going to do my very, very best with pronunciations. Well, when Carrie spells them phonetically for herself, her phonetically is not phonetically. <laughs> no, because that's not how I was taught. <laughs> I don't... Like, well, it wasn't right. <laughs> well, but I know. This is what my mama said. She may have lied to me to make me feel better about my reading skills. But she says that they were trying different things when we were learning to read. And some of the people in our grade learned phonetics and some learned like sight words instead of phonetics. And so I happened to learn not phonetics. So that's why I'm like. One time she said, this is how it is phonetically. No, it ain't. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) Okay, we're going to go Back in time, March 26th, 1991, there was a group of six boys who were the best of friends. They lived in a small area in Daegu, South Korea. Now, all of their houses were kind of like in a circle. So they were the best of friends, even though there was a little bit of an age gap. Like they ranged from nine to 13. So you wouldn't think of a 13-year-old really hanging out with a 9-year-old because even though that's only four years, that's a big difference as far as developmentally. That's like me and Tiffany. Well, y'all are bizarre. (laughs) When we met, I was three. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Tiffany would be so mad at me. (laughs) That's so weird. I didn't say it was weird. I just, it's unusual. Mm. The oldest boy, Wu Chua Wan, was 13 years old. Joe Ho Yeon was 12. I have heard his name and another name flipped, like Joe being the last name. Kim Yang Gu, who was 11. Park Chain In, who was 10. Kim Tae Ryong, who was 10. And Kim Jong Sik, who was 9. Now, his name also, I heard another place opposite, like Jong Sik Kim. So most of them had him in the order, like, their names in the order in which I read it. So the six boys were, like I said, the best of friends, houses in a circle. They played together all the time. And on this particular day, they were out of school because it was a national holiday. But it was a new national holiday because this was the first time in like 30 years that they had actually had local elections. So it was a really big deal, big newsmaker for the time that, you know, people were actually being able to vote and they decided to just go ahead and make it a national holiday. So all the schools were closed. So it gave these kids a chance to just have a fun day outside playing, doing all the things. So the kids are all playing together when Kim Tae Ryong realizes, hey, you know what? I haven't had breakfast yet. I'm actually going to go home and eat breakfast. Catch up with you guys later. Now, I heard a couple of different stories where this is where he parted paths with the boys. And then I also heard another one where he actually went back up to meet with the boys a little while later after he had breakfast and saw them with some pails and some little walking sticks because they were going to go up the mountain And he was like, oh, you know what? My mom told me not to go very far for the day. I'm just going to go back home. Either way, he didn't join the boys. And so it was just the other five. 
there's a little mountain right out on like the outskirts of Daegu that really is described more like this massive hill like it's, it's not like the fucking smoky mountains you know it's just like a one mountain thing you can tell you're real outdoorsy <laughs> <laughs> So the kids were going to go and look for salamander eggs. Ew. One thing I read said that when the boys went missing, that they felt like salamander didn't translate well into English and it didn't look like, like it wasn't a good tagline. So that's why they started calling them the frog boys instead of the salamander boys. What? Yeah. Either way, it's kind of an icky name to begin with. Yeah. But that's why they have that name is because when they went missing on the mountain, they were out looking for salamander eggs. That's so sad, though, because, I mean, as I'm like, ew, to that, because I'm older now, because when I was younger, I would dig in the ditch for crawfish. Okay, crawfish and salamander, very different. But I mean, me now would never. Also, all I can think about is that part on Matilda when she's like, it's a newt when it goes out. I know you've never seen it. I don't know why we're friends. So the kids are out playing and around one o'clock, one of their dads gets a call from the Taekwondo Academy and they say, hey, your son didn't come to Taekwondo today. Now, this is the part of the story that was on most articles I read, podcasts I listened to, but there was one article that said it wasn't until later at like dusk that one of the moms realized that the kids weren't home yet but this seems to be the most accurate story so he realizes hey my son didn't go to taekwondo today that's very unusual and he decides to go to the houses of the other boys to see if they went to taekwondo and maybe it was just his son so he goes about to the other homes and realizes that no None of the five boys went to Taekwondo today. Well, and they're not back yet. Exactly. So, of course, the parents start to worry. But this is not the first time that the kids have gone up to the Wolong Mountain. I hope I'm saying that correctly. But this is not their first rodeo. You know, they you've got a 13-year-old that's with them. The youngest one's nine. They're not, you know, it's not like it's a five-year-old wandering around. And again, the oldest one's 13. Like, they're, yeah. they're good. And that's the way things were in the 90s. You know, you go out, you play all day, you come home when it's time to eat kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, God only knows how many times I was out riding my bike. My parents didn't have a fucking clue where I was. Yeah. So the family members and some of the people in the community start to look around the town, the mountain, see what they can find. It's starting to turn into night. It's starting to get dark. They've got their flashlights. They've got everything, and they're still out there searching, but they cannot find any trace of the kids. They go to the police station, and let's just go ahead and say that the police were a little bizarre about the case. Like, they weren't like, they were helpful. Like, they, they came and they helped search. Like, they searched until, like, 3 o'clock in the morning, searching the area, looking for the boys. But as we go into the story, the cops just were weird. Remember that it's a holiday because it's the first time they've had the elections. So, that was what was so big in the news cycle. So, the missing boys really kind of disappeared behind the election. The parents are handing out flyers. There was money raised to help them pay to, like, print out stuff and, you know, get the word out. And they were doing every single thing that they could do to find the kids. But again, 
nothing was panning out. There was no evidence of where they went after they were last seen walking up the mountain. Can you imagine the guilt that the other boy has to feel, even though it's not his fault at all? But it's survivor's guilt Mm -hmm. because he's like, if I would have just gone with him. Yeah. But there's, but you're right. There's nothing for him to feel guilty of. No. But it's normal that he would feel that way. Yeah, and it just breaks my heart. At one point, one of the fathers gets a call from someone saying, I have your kids. A couple of them are injured. And I need you to meet me, I'm going to make this part up, at the bus station with X amount of dollars. So the father gathers up the money, goes there with police, and they wait and they wait and no one ever shows. Oh, I hate that. And it all ended up being a hoax. Fuck those people. If you call someone whose kids are missing, literally anybody missing, and you pretend like you know where they are or you pretend like you're holding them for ransom or anything like that, and it's a fucking hoax, you are a shit human being. Yes, there's a special place wherever in the afterlife for you. And it ain't going to be coming up roses. Mm -mm. And again, we're continuing with the election and all of that overshadowed the boys who were missing. And it was like, it just wasn't gaining steam. Like nobody was paying attention. So the family was doing everything that they could to get this information out to the public. So they went on a TV show to be like, hey, this is what's going on. Like, if you know anything, let us know. While they're at the studio, like recording this, like like live broadcast type thing, someone calls and It's a boy saying that he's one of the kids. So everybody in the crowd is like clapping and excited. Like, oh my God, they're alive. They're alive. They're alive. The mom gets on the phone and she's like, that actually did sound like my son, but it was a fucking hoax. Oh my. Yeah. That's a, that's a whole different level. Yeah. Well, the bright side of this is that it did garner national attention. Well, that's good. Also, I feel like they should get in trouble for that. You know? Yeah. If it's something like how the police went with him. Yeah. You are wasting police resources. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You should be charged with fraud. Yeah. So, because this created the national attention, the president, Lu Taiyu, actually got involved. He said, look, we're going to give you some military personnel And they ended up having 320,000 people searching for these boys. Holy shit. Yes. So, like, the president was like, we're going to find these boys, like, no matter the cost kind of thing. Yeah, I thought you were going to say, like, 300. No, you just kept going. Yeah, we added a couple of zeros to that. Mm Mm-hmm. But even with all of these people involved in the searches, they're putting things in newspapers, magazines, you know, putting up flyers in every street corner, phone booth, literally everything. Yes, phone booths. It's 1991. And fucking nothing. So rumors start to swirl. Like, what What the fuck is this? The fathers got to the point where they, they were getting nowhere. So they decided to take it on the road. I heard that it was one father, the father of Kim Jong-sik was the one that took it on tour, basically. But I also read where it was all of the fathers. But basically, they quit their job and basically went on like a tour, for lack of a better word, to get the information out about their children to see if anybody knew 
anything. So they would hold different press conferences and different just like community events, like town hall meeting type things in different areas to try to see if they could garner any type of information from this. They noticed that sometimes there would be the same people at the events, but in like in different places. And they were like, well, this is weird. So somebody that was with them, like traveling with them, helping them, asked, hey, like, who do you work for? Because again, there would be a lot of press there. So it's like, hey, who do you work for? And they got the business card of the man. And basically, he worked for like an intelligence agency. What? Right. My spidey sense is up. I'm like, this is straight CIA shit. Uh-huh. Whatever the South Korean version of the CIA is. <laughs> like, this is bizarre. Oh, God, it's that case. You're going to say bizarre 20,000 times. (laughs) Well, it seems like with this story that it's like moving quickly. But no, we're talking, it's now been like 10 years. 10 years? And still fucking nothing. There's no evidence. There's nobody's like witness statements or anything that's letting people know where these kids are. It's like they fucking just vanished. So this spurs various theories about what happened to the kids. So just to kind of give an idea, some people thought that maybe they just got lost, succumbed to the elements type thing. But remember, the oldest was 13 years old. And we're not talking the biggest mountain range in the world. We're talking like maybe a mile and a half away from their house. Like it wasn't this great distance that they were. Right. And if that happened, they would have found remains at some point and their pails something exactly so the other thing too is that if they got lost Daegu's very well lit like it's intentionally well lit like it's like a beacon kind of thing so they would be able to follow the path like okay that's the light that's where I need to be walking to and head that way so even if they were turned around lost whatever follow the light like they would be able to do that okay so this part is a little more donna story type but i'm just gonna just throw it out there i only they were not abducted by aliens because the aliens would have left the pails because they would not have wanted them on the ship what is this ship like a fucking mri is it a magnet Uh i mean why would they not need the pails yes they wouldn't need it okay well yes that is it (laughs) some people think that they were abducted by aliens they weren't just for the record Also, usually aliens return the peeps, too. Another theory, again, that I only saw in one place was that they were like, maybe North Korea is involved. You know, North Korea, South Korea, they got their thing going on. I mean, you have to say it. So some people were like, oh, it was North Korea. Probably the biggest theory that I'm going to say I kind of buy is that there was a military training area right at the mountain where they were. I'm talking like a mile away, if that, from where the boys would have been. And at this military training part, it was basically like a shooting training area. So like lots of gunfire type thing. So some people were like, well, what if they were accidentally killed during some sort of military training session and maybe one boy was shot and so they killed them all to cover it up and that's why we can't find bodies etc you have to remember though that it was the holiday so actually that training site 
was closed, but officers had access at any time. So was there like a South Korea sanctioned training that day? No, but there could have been officers there training. Now, one podcast I listened to called Case Remains, they said that there was evidence that one officer had been there at the training facility doing some, I don't know, military shit the day that the boys went missing. They, of course, covered their own ass, and we don't know that military officer's name, but there was one person there, according to that podcast. Yeah, I mean, I buy that because of how we talked about Dyatlov Pass. Mm-hmm. And even though, like, their bodies were found and it was completely different, it still could have been close. You know, like, the military testing site, it could have been exactly. something different. And with whoever these people were following them around on mm-hmm. their fucking world tour. Yeah. And it's a fucking intelligence agent. Like, yeah, that's weird to me. Well, this is when things take a turn. On October 25th, 2002, a man calls police And says that he thinks he found some bodies. So an older man was out on the mountain looking for some acorns. Acorns if you're southern. And he stumbles upon some skeletal remains. Now the police called in specialized forensic people because it's just skeletal remains at this point. And the police did not do a good job quarantining off the area, like doing all the things. They're trampling back and forth. They're moving the bones, trying to get them into piles on newspaper. And they just did not do a good job. And so it really limited some of the forensics about the bodies because of the way that the police handled it. Eventually, the families did sue the police for how they handled that. But it was essentially thrown out because they were like, you can't prove that Basically, the results of, spoiler alert, never finding out what happened was because of the mismanagement from the police. Wow. What they do know forensically, though, is that based on some of the moss growing on the remains, they know that the boys died there and were buried there. And what they think happened is because there had just been a lot of rain from a monsoon, it uncovered the Mm, bodies because they weren't buried that deeply. But that's why all those people basically doing these grid searches and they never found anything. It's because they were buried. Wow. And had it not been for those big rains, they may may never have been found. Right. Oh my gosh. At first, the police ruled it as them dying of hypothermia. Here's the thing. The lowest that night was three degrees Celsius, which is like 37 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, yeah. There's no fucking way that they died of hypothermia in those temperatures. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that they were only like a mile away from home. And with the beacon light, like even if they had gotten cold enough where they were confused, which we know even from your Love past story, you know, we know that when people are getting hypothermia and they get confused, they even like take their clothes off and all that. Like there's no logic to how they handle it but if they were that close to home they just walked home this is an area that they know very well it's not like on Diatlov Pass they're going up this mountain Mm -hmm. that they've never hiked before you know these kids know where they're going and again the oldest one is 13 years old it's not like it's a group of five-year-olds that got lost Mm -hmm. surrounding the remains were some scattered bullet shells oh shit exactly and they were only 300 meters 
away from the military training thing, which is less than a quarter of a mile. I never saw this information anywhere, but I did hear it in the podcast that I mentioned before that one of the kids sleeves to their shirt was like tied in a knot. And when the dad opened the sleeves, like bullets came out of that. But why did the dad untie it? I don't know. And the knot that was tied was like a bizarre knot, like like a military knot. Yeah. You know, like not just like a, yeah, it's like you're taught that knot. Nobody's just going to be like, you know, yeah, whatever. Y'all, if y'all watch Yellowstone, you understand this, but Rip, one of the characters on there, yeah, I know it sounds stupid, but let me just tell you, he can have whatever kind of name because I want to rip his clothes off, but he was showing this kid how to tie a knot, and that might have been one of the sexiest things ever. Now, another article that I found did say that the limbs of all of the kids were tied with ropes and it talked about how those knots were like military as well. But that was the only place I saw that they had ropes tied to them. Now, a few of the kids had some blunt force trauma to their head. Gosh. And Kim had a humerus fracture. They said that one of the kids did have a bullet hole in their skull that was caused by a like special bullet that that bullet that's like the special bullet was military grade. But all the other ones weren't? I don't know about the scattered about bullets. Okay, well, that's all the other ones, yeah. I know, but I'm just saying. Okay. Some people thought that, okay, well, maybe they were under a boulder, like that a boulder had rolled down from like a landslide or something that crushed them because, you know, a lot of them had wounds to their bones, but forensically they say, no, this is like they were beat. That's heartbreaking. And if it had been a boulder from a landslide, then they would have known there had been a landslide that day. Right. Like there was nothing, you know. Yeah. And landslides don't shoot bullets. Exactly. There was another forensic investigator that came around and was like, okay, okay, I actually, I know who did this. And said that it was, I believe, Kim's father. This was before the boys were found. He he was like, he's got them buried in his house. And basically had the police dig up this poor family's entire house. Like, he'd be like, no, they're there. Oh, they're not there? Okay, then then they're under the toilet. Oh, they're not there? Oh, fuck. And it, like, destroyed their house. And he was clearly wrong. I mean, and then, you know, later, years later, they actually found the bodies. So there was just so much that these families had to deal with that, I mean, it caused, I mean, one of the fathers died very young of liver disease. And, you know, it just, some of them turned to alcohol. You know, it just was very, very difficult for these families. Once the boys were found, time became an issue because at the time, South Korea had a statute of limitation. South Korea had a statute of limitations of 15 years for murder. What? Yes. And they were found 11 years after they went missing. So they were coming in close on the 15-year mark. Eventually, South Korea did change their laws, and now there is no longer a statute of limitations on murder. But that is all we know. There has never been any close to this case. Wait, so it's still open? Yes, because they changed the statute of limitations. Okay, okay, okay. And you know, people just were like, it's really weird that at first the police were like, oh, this was hypothermia, you know, and it's like, but there were bullets found. But there clearly was some damage to their bodies that happened before they died. Like forensically that proved that those 
gashes all the way to their bone is from some trauma that is not from fucking hypothermia. You know, so it was like people just felt like the police swept it under the rug and were covering something up. The fact that it was so close to the military training facility, all of this, the weird agents that were like following them on tour and like keeping track of who they talked to, what they said and all of that. It just seems like maybe that's the answer. I don't know. I I don't know if that's what happened, but it just, the pieces fit together. And I know the shit stuff that our country's done behind our backs that have come to light 30 years later, like MK Ultra and all of that. Yeah. Go back and listen to that episode because it was really fucking good. But I mean, it stands to reason that that's what happened to these poor kids Yeah. You know, I just hate that they get bundled up and it's the, you know, the five missing boys, the frog boys, all that. I hate the frog boys. Yeah, that's that's a terrible moniker. But I just hate that they lose their identity because they were, you know, you don't get like each individual boy. and, and, And we don't even really know much about their lives as individuals you know we just know that they went to the same elementary school they played together they were best friends a lot of stuff too said they were known as like the five musketeers and I'm like but there were six of them and he just wasn't there so I don't know I thought that was weird too but yeah after um their bodies were found it was about two years later the families were finally able to put them to rest and they had them all cremated and then scattered their ashes together at sea because they were like, these boys were best friends and together all the time and they wanted them to be together in the afterlife. Gosh, that's so sad and so sweet. And who gave you this recommendation? Because thank you, but also I hate you because it's so like, gosh. I know, I know. And there's just so many like bizarre, not even twists and turns, but like, it's just a bizarre story. Like, so there's a military training, like, you know. Well, and also, though, that it happened on the election day when it was like the first time in 30 years. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's it's honestly, to me, that feels more like the perfect storm. Mm. Like there's this person out there training and he's like, shit, a bullet or 12. I don't know how many misfire, whatever. Something happened. And maybe hit one of them and figured it out and was like, shit, I've got to cover this up. And what a perfect day to cover it up. Nobody else is here training. Yeah. And then again, it was the perfect storm because yeah, it was the holiday. Nobody was there training. That means that nobody caught them. And also it wasn't in the news because, yeah, you know, of everything that was going on. And so it was just awful. It really is. I just hope that those families get some sort of peace because, I mean, it truly has been horrific for them I just I don't know how you move on and live your life and you know I always think about this for people whose family members have gone missing like you know you're off of work because you're looking for them and you're doing all the things and then it's like at what point do you go back to your regular life like at what point are you like there's nothing more I can do or I have no money and I have to go back to my eight to five you know and then how do you just go back to your job like your coworkers and you know I just I just don't how do you go back to every day with someone missing and I know you have to you have to pay your bills you have to eat you have to if you have other kids or you know mm-hmm. whatever that you have to take care of you have to do those things but it's just like at what point are you like okay well it's been two weeks so I guess I gotta go back to work now you know like what's the yeah how does that work 
I don't know. I don't ever want to know. No, me neither. Unless somebody just tells me, but I definitely don't want to have life experience. No. Wow. Well, I think it was Melissa R. Thank you, but... Gosh, that was a hard one, but very interesting. Mm-hmm. I just hate the frog boys. Like, I I didn't know what to expect, and then, I don't know. Like, And it's so insignificant to the story. Yeah. I would think they would call them, like, that certain mountain boys, you know, or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something about that. And also, it just showed, like, oh, that's not sexy enough. Let's change it from salamander eggs. We're going to change it to frogs. Yeah. Like, what? Cool, 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 cool. So I see that you're really handling the case well. Facts are important. Well, we know that they didn't from the start because, yeah. you know, which is why I really think that it may have been something that there's a cover up. But then you have to be like, well, okay, so the police knew about it. The, the, you know what I mean? So like, how could it be a cover up if it really was this one lone officer who accidentally hurt one of the kids and then killed them all to cover his tracks? Like, why would it then be like, oh, the police have to help the government, you know? Well, I'm sure that kind of shit happens all the time. And then that one officer, because we don't know who it is, he gets reprimanded in the military or Mm -hmm. whatever, but we don't know. You just think that someone at this point would have talked. I don't know. Not with the government, like, uh uh-uh. With the CIA agents or the intelligent agents following those people around and stuff? No, no, no. True. Mm-mm. And, you know, these boys just doing their thing, having fun, being, playing outside. Being kids. Yeah, just doing their thing. And their lives ended in tragedy. And it's this unknown conspiracy now. Right. Well, y'all tell us what y'all think. Don't blame it on the aliens, though. Well, I am going to do another Christmas time tale. Because apparently I'm the only one Christmas spirit over here. Have you seen my living room? Uh, have you seen the podcast? Because it's only been me doing anything holiday related. I mean, what do you want me to do? The Die Hard movie? <laughs> oh my gosh. Have you ever watched Die Hard? Hell no. <laughs> well, picture it. Germantown, North Carolina, Christmas time, 1929. We're talking about the Lawson family. Charles Lawson and Fanny Manring, they married in 1911, and they didn't have time for much more than some small talk and sex because they had eight kids. Good God. Yeah, that's a TLC show right there. For real, no foreplay provided. (laughs) Straight to business. Right? But there was some sadness when their third child, William, he died when he was six years old from pneumonia. At the time of this story, Charlie, as he went by, was 43, Fanny was 37, and now I'm going to go down their, like, kid roster right now. Their eldest was their daughter, Marie, who was 17, then Arthur, who people called Buck, who was 16, Carrie, 12, Maybell, 7, James, 4, Raymond, 2, and Mary Lou was 4 months How did they spell Carrie? Did they spell it like me? No, they spelled it C-A-R-R-I-E. The Lawsons worked as sharecroppers on tobacco farms until they saved enough. And in 1927, they were able to buy their own farm on Brook Cove Road. Sure, it was a fixer-upper, but it was theirs. And they were knowledgeable about farming, and they just knew this was going to be a great new beginning for them. 
Also, it was close to his brother's land, and they had moved to Germington before him and Fanny had. The Lawsons were your normal working-class family in the 1900s. They struggled, but they spent a lot of time together as a family and always seemed to enjoy every moment they had together. The older kids helped Charlie and Fanny with remodeling the farmhouse after all the farm work was done. But one day when Charlie was demoing some of the rotten wood, he accidentally hit himself in the head with an axe. Oh, shit. And I'm thinking it was like the blunt end, not the sharp end. Oh, yeah, yeah. It probably like bounced off a nail and hit him in the head. That's a thing. Well, of course, Carrie would know it. I literally said, it's a total Carrie move, which is why you should never flip a house. Because no, no, no. Well, I know how good of a job I did when we tried to work on my mama's remodel when her house flooded, and uh, I won't. (laughs) (laughs) Although TikTok got me for real thinking that I can flip a house, because they do it in a minute. (laughs) They're like, follow me on my DIY journey. I know. And I follow them, and they're fast. Mm -hmm. Well, after Charles's head injury, he seemed to change a bit. Something was just off with him. He seemed to be a little bit more quick-tempered. But a couple of months went by, and now it's Christmas time, your favorite time. It truly is. Well, you haven't done a Christmas story. So there's that. (laughs) (laughs) And remember, Charlie's actions were a little off in everything. Well, then he did something that was totally not like him. He told all his kids to get in the truck with him and Fanny, and they were going to go into town, which was the town of Winston-Salem, which was about 13 miles away. Hey, I've done a story from that town before. Hopefully it's not this one. It's not. Also, I'm not a smoker, but are those cigarettes? Yes. Okay. (laughs) They had a lot of tobacco farms there. I mean, makes sense because they were a tobacco farmer, so there's that. So when they got to Winston-Salem, he took them on a shopping spree, buying them some new clothes, and it's close to Christmas, like just a few weeks away, so it's kind of strange that he's doing this right now, because, I mean, they were just sharecroppers two years ago. They bought a fixer-upper. They're putting all their money into this. They don't have the extra cash. Right. So, like, they weren't thinking they were going to get, like, new clothes, like, the she-she kind of stuff he's buying right now at Christmas time. So it's just like, what the fuck? But, you know, what else? Then he had them change into their new clothes right then. And he took them to a local photography studio. And they had a family portrait done. And this was what he called the first of his Christmas surprise for them. So skip a few weeks later. And Marie, the oldest daughter, she had her Christmas tradition of baking a raisin Christmas cake. So she woke up early that Christmas morning and started whipping up all the stuff, you know, doing all the things. While she's doing this, Charlie and Arthur were getting ready to hunt rabbits, which is a thing, I guess, on Christmas or was back in the day. Don't know. But then Arthur was like, uh, I don't have any bullets. Uh, what? And so Charlie sent him to the store to get some ammunition for their hunting festivities. So since everyone's waiting to eat until later... Carrie and Maybell, remember they're 12 and 6, they both decided that they would go and visit their aunt and uncle who lived next door, wish them a Merry Christmas, all the things, and probably see if they had anything to snack on. Oh, God, the snacks leading up to the Christmas meal. Mm -hmm. Oh, 
the best. However, the girls never made it there. Oh, God. So content warning, there will be details of children's deaths. In the tobacco barn, which is somewhere they would have to pass on their property to get to their uncle's house. Remember, they live next door. Charlie, their father, was lying in wait for them. He shot them both with a shotgun and then made sure they were dead by bludgeoning them. And then he dragged them back into the barn. Oh, my God. He then returned to the house and Franny was on the porch peeling potatoes getting ready again for the dinner, and he shot her. He then reloaded as he entered the house and shot Marie, who's 17, remember. Her body fell in front of the fireplace in the living room where she had been with her younger brothers, James and Raymond, who both took off running, trying to hide from their father when they heard the gunshots and then saw him point the gun at Marie. Charles searched found, and shot both James, who was four, and Raymond, who was two. Gosh. He also beat them to make sure that they were dead as well. He then went to the crib to find Mary Lou, the four-month-old daughter. He beat her to death. (gasps) She had a fractured skull as her cause of death. Oh, my God. After this, he dragged all the bodies to the living room and posed them. He laid them with their arms crossed over their bodies and rocks under their heads like pillows. Charlie then went to the woods with the family's two beagles, Sam and Queen. No, no. No, they're fine. They're fine. And after hours of walking around in a circle, contemplating what to do, Charlie died by suicide. There were two unfinished notes on tobacco auction receipts, and they said, trouble can cause and nobody to blame. Trouble can cause what? Right. Right. You to lose your mind and kill your entire family? Mm, Oh, gosh. Well, it's Christmas, North Carolina. It had snowed, and around this tree, the snow was pretty much melted away, and there was basically a circle that had been trampled around the tree, which is why they believed he had been pacing back and forth for for hours before. Well, kind of go back a little bit. Right before Charlie made his final decision, some family members were stopping by the Lawson's house to wish them a Merry Christmas. I believe it was his brother. And they discovered the bodies in the living room. They immediately went, contacted the police, and then... By that time, Arthur had returned as well. While everyone was gathered at the house trying to assess what had happened, they hear the beagles howl and then one single gunshot and they were like, oh gosh, someone has got Charles then, you know? And so they were able to find Charles or Charlie, I keep going back and forth, uh, thanks to the beagles, honestly. And like I said, he didn't harm them. They were okay. I know, when it said that they were out there with him, I was like, oh my gosh. Like, no. Well, this has already been awful enough. Yes. The entire family was buried in a single plot, but they were all in separate caskets. Besides Mary Lou, she was buried with her mom, Franny, laid in her arms. Oh. Which reminded me of the old couple from that story, Mm -hmm. you know, and just like, oh my gosh. Arthur, Buck Lawson, he went on and got married and they had children. However, 
He did die in a freak motorcycle accident when he was 32. Wait, which one was he? He was the only one who survived, the oldest boy. He was going to hunt with his dad and then was like, I don't have any bullets. And went, which is so like weird. Very similar to my story in that Uh the kid... That was like, actually, I hadn't had breakfast. I'm going to go back. And then was like, oh, well, y'all are kind of going far away with your buckets. I'll catch you on the flip side. Yeah. Okay. So I had to tell you, I found this because I was looking for some Christmas time stuff. But remember how I mentioned the TikToks that have the photos, but it's like the actual sinister shit behind it? Right. This is one of them. Gotcha. It's the one where they all look like an innocent family portrait, but it's actually the last picture of them all alive. That one that he had them go take. Yes. Okay. And if you saw it, you know it. And I screamed when I saw this picture because I was like, oh my God, I've seen so many TikToks about it. And also, they were actually buried in those clothes (gasps) that he bought for them. That's kind of bizarre. Yeah. So, no one really knows why Charlie killed his family, but there are some theories. One being his head injury. Remember, they were remodeling the axe incident. They said that could have caused it because he did seem to be more, you know, quick-tempered, all the things. However, there was an autopsy done on his brain at John Hopkins, and it found no irregularities. No irregularities? That's weird. Like, yeah, he had this massive brain injury, but, you know, no irregularities. Well, because I don't think he went to the doctor and he said, oh, yeah, you have a brain injury. Gotcha. It was just like... He hit himself in the head. He hit his head, and then it was like, after he hit himself on the head with that brain injury, you know what I mean? Gotcha. Because I don't think they had the money just to be like, oh, go go check that out. Like, he wouldn't have done that for himself, I don't think. He would have been like... No, we don't have the money for me to spend on me. Yeah. Which is why it made it so weird for him to be like, load up, we're going to town. We're getting pictures done. Yeah. But also that other source said that his brain seemed underdeveloped. So take with that what you will. Another theory, though, was that Charlie had been sexually abusing Marie, his 17-year-old daughter. Gross. And she had become pregnant with his child. Well, uh, they would know that. Well, they said, like, he didn't know what to do, kind of went extreme. There's two books called White Christmas, Blood Christmas, and The Meaning of Our Tears. And it has testimony from Marie's friend, Ella May, that a few weeks before Christmas, Marie told her that she was pregnant and that it was her father's and that both her parents knew about it. But I couldn't find anywhere that said, like, the autopsy showed that she was pregnant. But other people were saying she might have thought she was pregnant and said it. And then, you know, he goes off the rails. You you know what I mean? You don't know. But a lot of people said it was kind of ick how he was with her. Mm. You know, it wasn't just like this was a from left field theory. Yeah. One that was kind of from left field is the third theory that Charlie didn't kill his family, that he was framed, that he had witnessed some major crime, and so his family and him were killed to keep quiet. Mm-hmm. And I just, ee, I don't know about that. But because it all seems a little premeditated. Mm-hmm. 
you know. The picture. Uh-huh. And like the Christmas surprise. Like, was that all the Christmas surprise? Like, this was just part of the Christmas surprise. And then on Christmas, you kill your entire family. Right. Besides the one. And there's a reason why they think that he didn't murder Arthur was, so when he had that head injury, again, quick-tempered, Charlie and Arthur were working in the fields, and Charlie got mad, frustrated with Arthur, and attacked him. But Arthur was big, and you can see in the photo of them, like, he's 16, but he's, you know... He's he's, of the age where he can stand, mm -hmm. you know, he can take care of himself. Yeah, and so he defended himself, and Charlie ended up, you know, backing down, calling it off, being like, okay, 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 we're going to stop. And from then on, Arthur kind of became the protector of his family from Charlie's outburst. And so people say he might have made sure that Arthur didn't have any bullets, a.k.a. he had them all, ready for what he was about to do to make sure Arthur was away so he couldn't have stopped him from, like, what he was going to do. That seems plausible. Because I was like, why did he send him? Because he sent him away to get the ammunition, you know? Like, so why Mm -hmm. would you do that and leave one there But I think that was it because also he had a shotgun. So you had to reload. He had to surprise people to get it or the kid, like the little babies. Right. So Arthur could have easily gotten a gun himself or, you know, something with that. Like, I I just, I don't know. Or maybe he didn't plan on Arthur wanting to go hunting then or something. And he did and was like, oh, shit, wait. I don't have ammunition. Like, where'd all the bullets go, you know? Because he had taken it all, you know? Like, I don't know. And so he was like, oh, go to the store. Shit. Yeah. Fuck, that's not what it needed to do, but I don't know. But it it seemed like he had really thought about everything. Because also, they couldn't afford all those clothes and stuff, but he didn't care because they weren't going to be around. Exactly. But it was like they had that one photo for like well, the and, families later, you know, yeah. and stuff. And there could have been a financial reason behind it or just like John List, people do that when they're in financial trouble. Yeah. And especially if they've been lying and pretending like they weren't having trouble when they really were. Right. So Marion, Charlie's brother, he tried to help Arthur keep the family farm after the murders by any means he could. And one way was, oh, cringy but he created a makeshift museum of the home yeah like the crime scene had not been cleaned up and he kind of roped off some areas and was like come on through a quarter and that'll do like come on through oh my god so like the cake that marie had baked was on display and people actually took some of the raisins Ew. From it. Like, oh my God. Like, that just makes me so mad. So, they actually had to put a case over that. Also, like, nothing had been cleaned up at all. So, Mary Lou's crib still had all the blood and stuff. Like, everywhere. But, like, the little crib, you know? That's disgusting. But, unfortunately, Arthur didn't raise enough money to keep his family's house. And not sure if he really wanted to, but also he needed a place to live. That old house ended up being torn down, but they used some of the wood to build, like, a bridge later. And today... Madison Dry Goods is in the location where the house was, 
and they have an upstairs museum with some newspaper clippings and some of the mortuary service memorabilia. Like they have the elevator that was used to move their bodies and stuff. So it's not all true crime. It's still it's still got some little claims that people can hear children laughing and they've seen two small children playing in the woods that's right near where the Lawson Farm was and I believe at the cemetery. Also at the cemetery, people have seen some mist that will appear out of nowhere by the headstones. People have also reported that They go to the cemetery and their cameras would stop working because the batteries would be completely drained. Another thing is in the cemetery, when the leaves would fall, they fall everywhere but around Charlie's headstone. Some people said that when they went to the place where the house was located, they get an overwhelming sense of dread and sadness, but uh, that's because something really sad happened there and you know it. Exactly. Like that, I'm like... I understand if it's like that, oh my God, a heaviness on my chest and like, holy shit, I have to get out of here. Like, that's different. And it could be that. But just to be like, I feel like an overwhelming sadness around here. Like, this is a fucking sad story. Like, just hearing this and telling this is really sad. Yeah. And you're going to this house because, like you said, you know the story. Yeah. Some people said that, you know, the wood that they used for that bridge There would be, like, some fog that would sometimes encase your car, like, out of nowhere, kind of like a mist. And sometimes your engine would turn off. And another person said that they were chased by what looked like a 1920s car, and it just all of a sudden disappeared. I mean, that's really all I have on it, but it was just so sad. I had never heard of this. Mm -mm. But you know what I have heard of? Let me guess. Better help? Because this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Yes, girl. Y'all, we're coming in on the holidays. I think we even talked about this last time. The holidays can be a really hard time for people. And for a multitude of reasons, too. Money, family, traveling, uh, COVID's still a thing. And if your dog's a fucking Grinch like mine and eating all the ornaments, maybe you need a little help. And you know, as sucky as it is, holidays, there's a lot of grief associated with it. A lot of times people pass this time of year. It brings up you missing loved ones who have passed, and sometimes you just need a little extra help. BetterHelp is professional therapy done securely online. You can log into your account at any time and message your therapist, and if you're new to it, they match you with a therapist within 48 hours. Exactly, and again, you can do video calls, you can do just text messages, And even with the text messages, you're going to get timely and thoughtful responses. Or you could just schedule weekly video and phone messages. You don't have to go anywhere. You can sit in your PJs, your cute little Christmas PJs that you bought when you probably couldn't afford it. But here we are because it's the holidays, so... And eating that fudge, the leftover fudge. Oh my God. Maybe we need to go to BetterHelp for binge eating. But hey, here we are. The main thing is that BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit betterhelp.com slash APC. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 2 million people that have taken charge of their mental health. 
with the help of an experienced professional. Again, I can give my opinion, but I'm not a professional. I mean, she's a third party something with no particular interest in the Oh my God, you always try to quote it and you never quote it just right. That's on par. Hey, but you know what? BetterHelp is giving listeners of A Paranormal Chicks 10% off the first month. So like we said, get on there, peruse around, go to betterhelp.com slash APC for 10% off your first month. Look, I can't do math, but I know that's money off and that's what I like. You like a lot of things taken off. That's true. Including clothes. Yeah. The story did have that similarity, though, of where the one survivor, you know, and I wonder how they both dealt with that. Like, did they have a lot of survivor's guilt? Were they, you know, and it was almost like the oldest son, like Final Destination style, survived and then still died like a tragic Mm -hmm. death early on. Yeah. Also, another similarity is the theories. You know, yours, mm-hmm. there's no, there's no answers and there's no answers of why Charlie did it. Just the heartbreak that he left in his path. Yeah. Lots of tragedy this episode. It usually is in my stories. Mm-hmm. Well, we hope you enjoyed these stories. You, you know, enjoyed is such a weird word to say, but enjoyed the episode. I know this is weird, but I'm so thankful that nothing happened to the dog so the dog's a (laughs) same same which is so bizarre because it's like um children were injured but it's like I don't know I don't know a a lot of people are like that though I mean I'm like that too because I like my eyes skimmed down I was like oh my god did he hurt him did he okay no okay let me go back up and read now when it's like you want to say it's because the dog's, like, helpless and all that, but um, so is the human child. Yeah, so is his four-month-old baby exactly. in a fucking crib. Exactly. I, I just don't understand. And, like, with your story, them just being so innocent and, you know, just having a free day. Ugh. Also, shout out to Melissa R. again for recommending Carrie's story. If y'all have any recommendations, you can email it to us at aparanormalchicks at gmail.com or go to the Facebook group. There is a suggestion box post and you can just comment there. Also, tis the season to be uh, nice and jolly. Uh, Why don't you leave us a review? Well, yeah, that can be your gift to us. And it keeps giving. You want to keep writing them? (laughs) Yeah, can you keep updating, please? Look, just make up new new usernames. Just kidding, don't do that. (laughs) That's cheating. Can you do that? I don't know. But I just meant like, hey, I'm still, edit. I'm still listening, and they've even gotten better. Edit. I'm still. (laughs) Edit, one day later. (laughs) I mean, I I don't know if that helps. I'm just saying, we like your feedback. Thank y'all so much for listening, and remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.